We were supposed to meet up around four, but being the person I am, I arrived 30 minutes early, enjoying the excuse to walk along the shores of Boston Harbor through the footprint of the snaking freeway that had once ran above ground, filled to the brim with aggressive and disinterested Massachusetts drivers that now, after a decades-long dig, flowed beneath my feet out of sight and mind as I lazily enjoyed the plants, public art, and probably my favorite, the people watching. I had time. Having time is a luxury and a privilege. And I'm not always able to drink it in as I did that day, the sun warming my skin as I meandered towards my rendezvous. Texting to indicate I arrived, still a few minutes early, wandering, hoping maybe he too was early, eager to begin. I checked my phone a few minutes later, no response. And then a few minutes after that, still no response. My patience was starting to wear thin, Still no response. Maybe I got the wrong day or time. I frantically reviewed the various correspondences. No, this was the time and place, but where was he? We had been dating for that amount of time where you begin to feel sure, but you're not sure how sure you should feel. Where the second guesses and whispers of doubt creep in slowly sowing discord and worst possible scenarios. He's late because he accidentally set his kitchen on fire, they whispered. He's late because he has decided to break up with you. He's late because he got hit by a car and is on his way to the hospital. Phone smashed alone. Buzz, my phone lit up. Text message, so sorry, I'm running a bit late. Not helpful. I knew that. I should be there in 30 minutes or so. I got kind of stuck. I'll explain later. Okay, 30 minutes. I can handle that. My previous upbeat attitude mired slightly. I did my best to entertain myself, but 30 minutes or so turned into an hour or so, and then an hour and a half or so, and my patience was running out. I typed, why don't we cancel and find another time? Fingers hovering over the send button, wondering if this was the right thing to do. Because if this was any demonstration of how he felt about me, this moment didn't bode well for the direction, the movement of our relationship. But the spiral of pain that that thought sent me in told me of feelings that I hadn't fully acknowledged a depth within. I deleted those words, sticking it out. Now, if this was a different sermon, I would tell you of a helpful conversation I had with a jellyfish that evening, but this is not that sermon. And as the sun was beginning to set, I saw him finally, two hours later, walking towards me, and we sat down together on a bench, me trying to purge all of my resentment and anxiety and channel the empathetic person I thought I should be. Him apologizing profusely, explaining how he had dropped in on an older member of our church and she had been so enjoying his company that she made it hard to find an exit as tea turned into dinner and the winding conversation seemed to never find a natural ending point, all the while being in and out of cell signal. 
after the facts of the situation were secured, understanding reached, I felt a new tension beginning to stir in my chest, a different tension. Whereas before it was the tension of the worst case scenario, this was a tension of hope, of possibility, as though I was suddenly attuned to a new set of vibrations emanating from all around us and my heart and chest were soaking them in, energized by them, but also unsure, almost afraid. We sat and talked, warmed by each other's company. We were having a moment. But a moment of what? Was this the moment where it all comes crashing down? A moment where it all becomes clear? The vibrations built a pressure within my chest, pressing upon my throat and my vocal cords as if there were words that were trying to escape. I looked at him and he smiled. The tension within was suddenly too much to bear. But instead of running away like I had desired before, I let go, letting the tension carry the words that needed to be said. I'll confess, I thought this was maybe your way of saying you didn't want to see me anymore, that you were going to break up with me. The vulnerability shot out of me like an arrow. And I stood there like an archer, helpless, unable to do anything to change the trajectory, but wait. No, not at all, he responded. Actually, what I've been meaning to tell you is that I love you. Now, if you ask my husband, he might remember that day a little differently. And he usually disputes the length of time I had to wait. But I know for a fact he doesn't dispute that it was a moment. I'm sure we could all tell stories of the moments that have defined our lives, not all hallmarked and heartwarming, but moments nonetheless. The moments of love blossoming, the moments of truth breaking us first apart and then open, the moments that lasted but a second on the clock but seemed to stretch on for an eternity within, the moments where time became thick and time warped, Moments that happen to us alone and moments that happen to all of us together. The moment of calm between storms that Sylvia Ashton Warner writes about. The moment where we, like the bird, found dry land below, allowing us to rest firmly and grounded. In every moment, I know I seem to wonder, and maybe you do too, always wondering, is this a moment or a movement? Momentous or momentary? Magnificent or mortifying? There is a way moments can defy our experience of the laws of time and physics. For in those cascading moments, the wounds where everything seems to change, where the proverbial rug is pulled from beneath you, the moments where your world is turned upside down, when you heard the news from the voice on the other end of the phone, from a loved one, from a doctor, a police officer, a Facebook commentator, a political pundit, when you felt the shift in your heart, in the relationships that defined your life, 
the disruption or clarification or true embodiment of what you thought to be true, good, and right, or what you dared to dream, even if it seemed impossible. It is a, in those moments, it is as if you are catapulted from time and space. In that moment, tossed up into the air, unclear how gravity will exert its force upon the magnetism of your being, and you feel as though you have been caught in the maelstrom for a thousand years, and you don't know if you are a falcon, a storm, or a great song. And in those moments, as you float suspended, losing all sense of direction and tethering, wondering if this was temporary, momentary, fleeting, that as soon as gravity was rightly restored, everything you knew would return to its appointed place, maybe jostled or dusted, but mostly intact. And as you floated, transfixed in the moment, maybe you hoped that it wouldn't that it wouldn't return back to normal, time warping you back to what was, for in the transformation, the uprest, the upheaval of the moment, you spied magnificence incarnate. The disruption of all that was wrong and the possibility for all to be made better, a momentous movement refracted in a single moment. Or maybe you pleaded that it would, that this reality would be fleeting, not a signal of a movement, not mo not momentous, but momentary. What is a moment anyways? Is it simply a fraction of time, small, finite, fleeting? Scientists recently recorded the shortest interval of time, how long it took a particle of light to cross a single molecule of hydron, 240 zeptoseconds. Zeptoseconds were representing a trillionth of a billionth of a second, the equivalent to the number 0 0.0000020 zeros and then a one. Are our lives defined by zeptoseconds or minutes or days or election cycles, time fungible, able to be cut up into units and distributed? Or is there another dimension altogether different that defines a moment? What is a moment? Is this a moment or a movement, momentous or momentary, magnifying or mortifying? And what does all this time of talk and moments matter to us? Because we approach a moment where the questions lay heavy on our souls. As an election approaches, so does the anxiety rise within us. For many white, educated liberals, 2016 represented a moment where the country they thought they knew was ripped from them. And the prayers whispered, yelled, and embodied on the streets in marches between then and now was a fervent wish that this period would be seen as aberration, as the exception to prove the rule of American democratic culture of goodness, of rightness, of what seems to be true. I don't know what I'll do if it happens, I've heard. I don't recognize my country anymore, I hear. I swing from hope and despair. I can't watch the news. I can't seem to stop watching the news. 
Maybe you've said those things yourself. Essentially, each of us asking ourselves, was this a moment or a movement? And in this moment, what is it time for? What will happen next? The Greeks actually gift us help in this department as we think about this moment, as we look back, for they conceived of time in two fundamentally different ways. First, there is chronos, the time that we would all recognize, the linear time where a minute becomes an hour, which becomes a day, which becomes a year. Whatever unit of measure, solar, lunar, or embodied calendar, the progress of time is forward. Chronos defines our days. It is the time that calendars track that clocks mostly do. Remember to set your microwave back. It is the instinctual time that we can all see that the present like sediment layers itself upon the past to form the bedrock of tomorrow. But then there is the other time, Kairos, an experience of time that is not about quantity or duration, but rather the specific quality or texture of a moment. Kairos is an experience of time in which we are all put in touch with what is to be fulfilled in that moment. The other, this other time, Kairos, points to a quality, a character of time, but also to the special position an event or action occupies in a series, to a season when something appropriately happens that cannot happen any other time, but only at that time, to a time that marks an opportunity which may not recur. Kairos asks us the question, what time is it for now? The author, Madeleine Lengel, writes, Kairos is real time. That time which breaks through Kronos with a shock of joy. That time that we do not recognize while we are experiencing it, but only afterwards, because Kairos has nothing to do with chronological time. In Kairos, we are completely unselfconscious and yet paradoxically far more real than we can ever be when we are constantly checking our watches for chronological time. The saint in contemplation, lost to self in the mind of God, is in Kairos. The artist at work is in Kairos. The child at play, totally thrown outside herself in the game, be it building a sandcastle or making a daisy chain, is in Kairos. In Kairos, we become what we are called to be as human beings, co-creators with love, touching on the wonder of creation. This calling should not be limited to artists or saints, but it is a fearful calling for us all. Kairos is the texture of a moment that invites us to ask, what is it the right time for? What can only happen now? Not only in some grand ways, but in the small ways. We can only be here together in this moment now. Let us drink it in and let what happens next flow. Paul Tillich, the liberal theologian, said that Kairos bores the weight of the intersection of eternity and historical action. 
Kairos moments in which the moment, the movement of history matures to a point that they're able to manifest the deepest of love. But all of that is well and good. Because sometimes the questions that dot my day are more like, can I have a cookie? I get asked that many times a day. No matter the existence of cookies in our house or not. And each time I'm asked a question like that, I am struggling with how do I decide? Is the cookie the correct bomb for a hurt feeling or a maladapted parenting technique? As so much of parenting and life is about knowing what battles to fight, what boundaries to keep. And it can be so difficult in the onslaught of a day to figure out what is the right thing to do. It doesn't seem helpful necessarily in those moments to pause and ask myself, how does this moment bear the weight of the intersection of eternity and historical action? Maybe it does for you. But there the Greeks gift us two images to help us in our everyday lives, the image of an archer and a weaver. For when an archer pulls back a bow, Kairos is the moment where the tension in the bow is sufficient to allow the arrow to strike its target. The image of the archer invites us to imagine us withstanding the tension of the moment to allow ourselves the right level of power when the opportunity arises. Think about my experience at the beginning, the story about my husband. I almost didn't withstand the tension of that moment. I almost left out of fear, not able to allow that moment to come to being. I wonder what is the tension that you're struggling to bear? Unknowing, difficult conversations or relationships. I wonder how you're able to withstand that tension just a little bit more so that you are able to have that sufficient power to let go in the right moment to allow love to play out. The second image, if the first is the archer, is the weaver. For Kairos in weaving is the moment where the loom is set so that you can move the shuttle through each of the threads to strand a string through, adding one more line onto this garment of destiny. Kairos is the window where you can add that string. When the weaver must draw the yarn through the gap momentarily opened in the wrap of the cloth being woven. The weaver invites us to see how our strand can interconnect with others and reminds us that in these moments, we only need to be one string, not all. If we withstand the tension and let ourselves go at the right moment, we only need to be that one strand. The garment will take fold. We cannot know for sure which moments will turn into movements. We must practice humility in the face of that reality, that knowing not only what power is needed or what garment we are weaving together, 
there is a humility and a trust in this. And so we are invited to adopt a stance beyond nihilism, skepticism, or hubris. You won't know the moments of Kairos as you experience them, but you might feel them, sense. Your watch or phone may not tell you it is time, but your soul might, your heart, your integrated self, your gut might. And so it is our work to gird ourselves, to stay in the tension, to not fire our arrows off prematurely out of fear. Moments are precious, but they are not finite. We will miss many shots, not recognizing them, mistaking them, releasing ourselves. We must release ourselves then from perfection or culpability so that we may trust the arc and the tendrils of love that persistently demand an entrance. Often in the moments where we release ourselves into what yearns to be born, unknowing if it will manifest, if it could, but knowing we could play that small part. And each time we open ourselves ready for the next, trusting that in each and every moment, there is an answer to the question, what is it time for right now? What magic of the soul and spirit shall we conspire with today that no matter who is elected, whatever the polls say, whatever the state of civil strife, whatever the circumstances of that world outside us, if we cultivate the power to withstand the tension and anxiety of life's most challenging realities, we can wait to see how the opening arrives to humbly weave our lives into that greater whole. This power is not a human one. It is central to life itself, possibility, opportunity. What is it time for? Is this a moment or a movement? Hope is not about optimism. Hope is not about results. Let despair not seduce us into believing that there is nothing yearning to become in this moment or the next. Life itself is waiting right now. And it will be there on November 3rd and November 13th, and November 2023. Friends, vote, rest, hold the tension, find the window, weave a more beautiful garment, trust, leap. This is the way. Amen.